Experience the best in relaxation and entertainment with SolGood streaming at SolGood.org. Our extensive library features hundreds of audiobooks, thousands of short stories, original podcasts, and popular sounds for sleep, meditation, and relaxation all ad-free. Whether you want to escape into a good book or fall asleep to your favorite ambient sound, we have something for everyone. Go to SolGood.org to start streaming and discover your new go-to for entertainment and relaxation. That's S-O-L-G-O-O-D dot O-R-G. Rediscover the art of relaxation at SolGoodSounds.com. For just $10 a month, indulge in our extensive collection of ad-free coming sounds. Perfect for those cherishing peaceful moments. Begin your auditory escape today at SolGoodSounds.com. I do not mean the power of Caesar. I am speaking tonight of the power of God. Here in this world of Caesar, I think all nations will admit that this land of ours is by far the greatest power in the world of Caesar. Economic power, military power. And here we are against a tenth-rate nation. We find in our hands the longest war in our history. We say we have an objective, and that we have the means to achieve it. But we are unwilling to use the means that we have, or they modify the objective to pick the means that we are willing to use. That belongs to the world of Caesar. If we do not modify the objective to pick the means we are willing to use, well then cut bait and forget it, and forget the so-called saving place. But I'm not speaking of that kind of a power. I'm speaking of the power of God, which is called in Scripture, Jesus Christ. Paul defines Christ as the power of God and the wisdom of God. Here we find wisdom and power exalted and personalized as God's companion in the creation of the world. That power is your own wonderful human imagination. That's the power of God. That is Christ, as far as I'm concerned. That is Jesus Christ of the Scriptures. Now tonight, we're talking just about this power. The earliest gospel is Mark, and the first words you find on the lips of this power, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now the word repent, as we use it in the world, is not what scripture means. When we use it here, we mean to feel remorse, regret. It has nothing to do with the word repent. It's the Greek metanoia, a radical, a radical change of attitude, a radical change of mind. Can I see an objective, and then everything tells me that I can't realize it? But do I have the power to realize the objective? I tell you, we have. We have the power. But what is the deeper meaning of power? What effect it is in achieving one's purpose in life? So I have a purpose. Do I have the power? I tell everyone, yes. You can imagine the end, can't you? Can you imagine what it would be like if it were true? Can you feel what it would be like if it were true? Well, then that's the power. Now, can you be persistent in it? Can you remain faithful to that end as though it were true? So I don't care what the objective is, you have the power to achieve it. If you know this power is the power of Christ. So all things are possible to hear. He's personified in Scripture. Let us go back and see how they're first personified. You'll read it in the 8th chapter of the book of Proverbs. The 22nd verse through to the end, the 36th verse. And these are the words, God possess me. In the beginning of his way, the very first of his acts of old. 
One translation has an equation, but that's not a good translation. I can inside create in my capacity to think, I can develop it, but it was withering in the beginning. I can say that I created my capacity to imagine. It was with me. I may not imagine correctly, but it was with me. So God possessed me in the beginning of his way, the very first of his acts of all. Before he brought forth the universe, before he laid out the foundations of the earth, I was beside him like a little child. I was dating his delight. Rejoicing before him always, delighting in his inhabited world. Now, my sons, listen to me. <coughs> he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who misses me injures himself. All who hate me love death. You read these words in the age of Proverbs. Hermes personalized as a little child, God's companion in the creation of the world. <clears throat> when you read it, it doesn't make sense, but I check it from my own personal experience. Having practiced the art of repentance, and having experienced the birth from above, with the little child, I know exactly what the prophet meant when he was inspired to write those words. One day you will encounter this creative power in you, personified as a little child. The whole vast world has completely misunderstood it and think it's a little child wrapped in swaddling clothes that was found by the shepherds 2,000 years ago. That's a sign of the birth in men of the creative power of God. So God is actually bringing forth his creative power in man. <coughs> And when it's brought to birth in man, <coughs> so that man actually becomes part of the creative power of the universe, that the sign of his birth, the sign of his awareness of it, is that of a little child. So here, I was lacking, I was beside him like a little child when he brought forth the universe. So in everyone, in bringing me forth as part of the created power of the universe, came the sign of my arriving at that point is symbolized in that of a little child. <coughs> when I find the child, I have found life. Now I have life in myself. I am no longer an animated body, I am a life-giving spirit. If I miss it, I injure myself. All who hate me love death. Now this world is the world of death. So you tell the story to the world, and the majority would rather have the building across the street or this building, something to them that is secure. Now you know, army of our power, take the building away, destroy the building, but leave me the power to recreate it. Don't take from me the creative power, but take all the things I create. But the world would rather have the things created than the power to create. And so those who hate me, they love death. There is love with the whole natural world that decays. For everything that is built today gradually fades. It comes into the world, it waxes, it wanes, and it vanishes. But leave me the power to bring anything into this world and take it from me, if you will, anything that I bring into the world. But don't take from me the creative power that I may actually create anything in this world. Now, what does he mean by repentance? It means this, it tests the individual's ability to enter into and partake of the nature of the opposite. I see someone and they are, well, they are behind the eight ball financially. They have a pure range, they have to buy clothes, feed themselves, or maybe they have obligations to society. Others to feed, others to clothe, they may be a father, mother. But I need them and they are not employed. Now it tests my ability to put them into the state where they are gainfully employed. I bring them before my mind's eye, and I represent them to myself as gainfully employed. And to the degree that I am self-persuaded of the reality of what I am seeing, and hearing, and doing, to that degree they become exactly what I am doing, all in my imagination. For if tomorrow or in the immediate present they actually conform outwardly to what I am doing inwardly, I have found the creative power. 
I try it again with another one. I try it with another one. I keep on trying it. And it works. But then I tell it. I ask everyone who listened to me and believe it to try it. See if you can exercise that same power in you. It's not a different power. There's only one Christ. They are a number of Christ running around the earth. Only one Christ. And that Christ is your own wonderful human imagination. So if I exercise my imagination and it proves itself in performance, and then you exercise your imagination and it proves itself in performance, it's the same imagination. Individualize as never individualize as you, the God is in your name. Then you share it with another, and you tell it to others. Well, if I can tell it to the point where they are persuaded to try it, and in trying it, it proves itself in the testing, well, we have done it. So when the, you read in scripture, I have found it, found it. I have found the one of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth. Well, the word Jesus simply means what Jehovah means. It means salvation. It means to save. I save someone from poverty by putting him into a state of affluence. Well, then that's Jesus. I'm exercising the same power. If someone is unwell, and I represent him to myself as a being with the embodiment of hell, and he conforms to it, then that's Jesus. He saved him from what? From being unwell. What if I try it and try it and try it and it proves itself? What does it matter what others think? What does it matter what anyone thinks about what I am talking about? I only know that it proves itself, it works. But if it works, well then try it. So this is the power of which I speak. Not some peculiar looking on the outside. You don't buy it. It's innate. You exercise. So you're taught to repay it. It's the beginning of the exercise of the power. And when you reach a certain degree of intensity, that power is born. And it's born in you and then personified as a little child. And you actually think yourself coming out of your own skull. And here's a little child wrapped in swaddling clothes. And it is your child. Now you didn't form some little child in your head. The child is a sign of your birth from above. It's a sign of your arrival into the creative stream of God. Once now you're now one with the creative power of God. And there's only God. Nothing but God. Man is all imagination and God is man. And exists in us and we in him. The creative power of God is man's imagination. That is actually Jesus Christ himself. There is no other Jesus Christ. So all of a sudden you find this is what the world is talking about. But they're putting on the outside. I made some little God up. But he's housing everybody. And let me show you from my own experience what I know about this law. I can raise power in the world of Caesar. We're doing it by the billions every year with our little war and all the nonsense we have in the world. This power you can't waste. You can misuse it, but you can't waste it. I can misuse it every moment of time by imagining unlovely things about people. Unlovely things about myself. I can use it hatefully. Well, I can't waste it. I'll show you you can't waste it. One night, many, many years ago, I suddenly became aware of two beings. I am the one perceiving them. So the three, but I am the perceiver. Here above me stands the most beautiful woman imaginable, an angel. <clears throat> an angel of beauty and of everything that was loved. And below me, the most monstrous thing that man could ever conceive. Covered in hair, like an ape, but it could speak. It's called Gunther. I looked at it. Then it looked at me and then it pointed to this beautiful angelic being. And it called this woman Mother. Well, I was so annoyed with this monstrous thing that I covered it. It gloated. It loved violence. It fed on violence. Every time I was violent, it became stronger. And this beautiful thing, knowing that this one is calling it Mother. And suddenly, as I am beating this thing, I realize that this is the embodiment of all of my misspent energy. As this one is the embodiment and personification of every noble thought I've ever entertained. 
I looked at this thing. I had no one with whom I could swear. I felt a compassion I have never known before. I looked at this monstrous thing and realized it is but the result of my own misused energy. It never should have been given birth. And I say to myself, I will redeem you if it takes me eternity. I prayed myself to redeem it. Do you know what happened? At that very moment, before my eyes, the whole thing with it, that monstrously, the embodiment of power, horrible looking thing, it all got smaller and smaller and smaller, and it had no trace of ever having been present. But as it got smaller and smaller and disappeared, the energy returned to me. I felt infinite power. I felt like I had done anything. The power returned to me. It wasn't wasted. It was misused, but not lost. Nothing is lost in all my holy life. So you can't lose the power. You can misuse the power, but you can't lose it. But you are confronted one day in a monstrous thing like that. And you know exactly what I did. You won't wait for redeeming at the very moment that you pledge yourself and you need it. I'll redeem you if it takes me eternity. At that moment, that monstrous thing with us gets smaller and smaller, and this one blows. It becomes radiant like a star. She is the embodiment and the permanent personification, getting ever greater of your own noble, wonderful thoughts. Every lovely act of yours feeds her. Every ignoble act of yours feeds him. And they walk with you. This one whispers the lovely things, encouraging you to be noble. And this one whispers the vital things. If you are the crossroads as to what you should do, this one wants to be paid. He can only feed on violence. And this one can only feed on the noble, lovely thoughts of man. And language, you see your own creation, and it's all the same power of your own wonderful human imagination. From then on, you know where you are. You are a created power. And you go out to change everything in your world to make it to the form of something lovelier. And you don't do it on the outside, you do it on the inside. You do it all in your imagination. Imagination is God, and there is no other God. His name is I am forever and forever and forever. That's God. And yet, when you do need the personification of your own imagination, you see a man. And that man is infinite love. You also meet him in another garment, and he is infinite power. He is infinite wisdom. And you realize that the being that you really are is a protein being. He plays all the parts. When you meet him, his fundamental being is love. But he also is power, and you see him as power. And he also is wisdom, and you see him as wisdom. And you don't have to ask any question as to who are you. It's so obvious that you stand in the presence of infinite power, or infinite wisdom, or infinite love. And you know the truth of these statements of Scripture. When you say God is love, you stand in the presence of God, infinite love, and it's a man. Our scientists tell us about impersonal force. This is not impersonal, this is very personal. God is a man. You are a man. God is no more. Your own humanity learned to adore. For everything here is God. And God being man, his every attribute is personified. So in being God as power, it's man. Meaning as wisdom, it's man. Meaning as love, it's man. So I tell you, this power of which I speak is right here, in your own wonderful human imagination. Don't turn to another. Don't turn to anything on the outside. It's all within. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And God is in his heaven. But I turn within, where I turn, I turn to my own wonderful human imagination. And then I imagine what I want as real in my world. And persuade myself that it's true. To the degree that I am self-persuaded, it becomes true. It actually closes itself in what the world calls reality. But the reality is not the visible thing they see. The reality is the unseen state, which I have imagined. To take the other, cut it down. It renews itself by the invisible state. The little lamb is made with the light. But the reality of that lamb, that form that is forever, is unseen by man. 
So here in this wonderful world of ours, you have the power. You don't need financial power. That won't do it. You can buy health. You can buy respect. Or you can buy it for a little while. But they don't really respect you. Let the money go and they don't respect you. You don't need anything in the world of Caesar to buy what you want. Come, you're told, buy it. Without price, without money. And you say, buy it without price, but then you see it's not Caesar's coin that you will. You use your own wonderful human imagination. I'll give you the story. A friend of mine down south, he went to this barber shop. There were four barbers. He went to the boss barber first, and after about three visits, the barber couldn't take him to stay, and he took the fourth one, the last year. He rather liked the way this man cut his hair. He got talking to him. And he realized the man loved barbering. He loved it. That's all my friend needed. You really love it? He said, I just love it. I wouldn't do anything else but cut hair. I just love it. And this is what my friend did. He imagined that man, the head of the shop, didn't consult him, didn't consult the boss barber, didn't consult anyone. Just this one. He liked him. He imagined that he was the head, but not this shop, but a shop. Six weeks later, the barber decided, the owner, to unload the shop. How he raised the money, my friend never told me, but he bought the shop. And moved from the fourth man, the no man of the totem pole, to the boss barber. In the last year, this one sold out as he came here to the city. About two months ago, there was some meeting there, a contest among barbers. He brought two of his barbers with him. One was committed, he couldn't come that day. He brought two. They took back, out of five prizes, they took back four. He won two, a first and a second, and two of his barbers won two seconds. He just entered another contest of the entire region that is the seven western states, and he won it, plus a thousand dollars. A big flag is now on his wall. All because of my friend's use of imagination. This man has a terrific control of this power. He's an advertising agent. About, I would say, the early part of this year. His boss said to him, this is our best account, and I don't want to lose it. <coughs> but you know the industry today is on the skids. And he must do something to pull it up. While he sat down, he said, I'll get the magazine creates reality. My only problem would be to face these men who believe themselves so wise and persuade them to let me go all out with my campaign. <coughs> From the premise that it's already an accomplished act. I can't advertise that this thing is possible. I want to say it has been tried and proven in my ads. He worked out the entire thing. When these 20 men, all multi-millionaires, or this is one of the huge industries of the world, this is the international industry. When he worked the entire thing out and presented it to these 20 men on the board, they thought themselves above all this. They were ethically above all things. Their moral code would not allow it. But my friend persuaded them this is how a law operates, that imagining creates reality. So if you want something created, leave it to me. I will take your desire. I'll make it something that is already a fact. You voice it. The first quarter of this year, that industry not only arrested the motion down, turned it around, and their profits, not their gross, their profits the first quarter of this year was $75 million more than the first quarter of last year. 25 million more. I'm thinking of a net profit. Now these wise men with their wonderful ethical clothes, they allow it. They saw the money in the bank. They saw all these things, and their so-called ethical moral codes went through the window because they saw another principle which they did not know. Here's a comparator, and I saw the letter. Here's a comparator in the advertising field. Not the boss, my friend's boss. He said, you know, I take my hat off you. You use the principle that we have always used in our work, which is the dollar nine. He never did it at all. 
and I know exactly what you did. He's trying to fish him out to find out what he's doing. And in this letter, he makes the claim that he actually knew and that all the music, and no one can work for other concern unless he's aware of this principle and lives by it. We are concerned about his religious background. He could be a Catholic, Protestant, Jew, or an atheist. But he has to live by this principle. And I saw that letter. The man was fishing. Just fishing to get the one who really conceived it to come forward and tell him what he did. But here is the same one in the bar shop. He goes there every Saturday morning by appointment and the boss barber waits for it right on the dock. Every Saturday he is right there for the chef. He loves him and he took him from the grown man on the totem pole and pushed him right up. He realized the man likes cutting hair. That's what he likes. He just loves it. All right, then be the best. If you like it, be the very best in the trade. Tell me what you want. Maybe you want to be a wife. Some uh, giving a home. What's wrong with that? My mother never went to work. She has had ten children and lived at home with her four company servants. My sister never worked, so she lives at home with her servants. My wife worked until I could afford to keep her. Hey, when I could afford to keep her, that's the you stop. So she stopped. Well, almost two years after we got married. Two years afterwards, I couldn't, I could afford to keep her. But now, from now on, they don't work. So she hasn't gone back to work. So tell me what you want. And then let me persuade myself that what you really want, you have. To the degree that I am self persuaded that you have it, you get it. If I can persuade myself, well, then I fail. But I haven't spent the uh, energy because I tried it lovingly. So any time you use your imagination lovingly on behalf of another, you use it wisely. Even if you didn't succeed in producing the results that you were seeking, you used it wisely. You will not then encounter the monster that I did. But the chances are, everyone in his unknowingness built that monster. But everyone has started to misuse the, uh, the energy, and it forms itself into a horrible, horrible thing. Did you ever sit down and you want to feel on earth did that thought come from? It wasn't a lovely thought. It came from the thing that you bit, that misspent energy. A monstrous being that one day will meet you on the threshold and confront you, and you have to redeem it. Because Christ must be redeemed, and although he is the redeemer, he also is one to be redeemed because he's only energy, he's power. Infinite creative power is Christ. The power of God. So the power of which I speak is your own wonderful human imagination. That's God. So when I'm telling you that man is all imagination, and God is man, and exists in us and we in him, the eternal body of man is the imagination, and that is God himself. The divine body, Jesus, and we are his members. For everyone can imagine that for all are members of the one body. <coughs> so this is that one spoken of in the eighth chapter of Proverbs. I was beside him like a little child. Find me and you find life. You miss me and you injure yourself. Take me and you love death. So the one who finds him is born from above. But unless you be born from above, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And the birth of above is simply symbolized in that of a little child wrapped in swaddling clothes. So it's not some little event that took place 2,000 years ago, once and for all. It is taking place. So you started with repentance. Repent and believe the story of the gospel. And to repent is to challenge you, to test you. Can you take a man from the lowest point in the barbershop and make him the boss? Can you represent him to yourself as one who really is in charge, who loves it, and you love him? Well, then try it. So he loved him. Going into his mind's eye is one that really was important in his life. And the man suddenly rose suddenly to the highest place in his shop. And now in the entire western area, he has won all the prizes. And this one, in this advertising agency, he can write his own ticket today. The boss said to him, you just, what do you want? The boss gives him, well, I would say, three, four times a year, a huge, great, unsolicited bonus check. 
He wants to keep it. My brain has no desire to quit it, but the boss is so eager to hold it. There's one bonus after the other. And my friend, why you take it? Why shouldn't he? So I ask everyone here to try it. Don't just listen to it and not try it. You are the optimum power. It doesn't operate itself. And so when I know what I should do, or don't do it. Go to sleep tonight or night. How am I sleeping? In what state of consciousness am I sleeping? As someone that is unwanted or ignorant, I will rise tomorrow to find myself unwanted. Elevate your productivity and relaxation with SalGoodBooks.com. For $10 a month, access an exclusive selection of ad-free audiobooks. Perfect for listening during a break or commute. Enhance your listening experience at SalGoodBooks.com. Ignore the facts of life and assume that you are wanted. Ignore the facts of life and assume that you are happy. And see how things work in your world. They all come your way. You are creating out of a power that is infinite. And you don't need any contacts in the world. You don't need to know the right people or anything else in the world. All you need to know is Christ. And Christ is your own wonderful human imagination. What else do you need to know but Christ? So let no one tell you he's out there and he looks like this. There is no personal representation in Scripture concerning Jesus Christ. Not one little thought is mentioned concerning what he looks like. Yet our churches have hundreds and hundreds of paintings. Not your life. He tell you that is what Jesus looks like. He looks just like you. As you're told in Scripture, it does not yet appear what we should be, but we know this much. When he does appear, we shall know him. Why? We shall be like him. Just like you, my dear friends. So let no one tell you that he looks other than you, because that's not Christ. And yet, in spite of the second commandment, make no greater image unto me. We have all these little indulgences. People buy, and they bow before it, and call that Christ. Something made with a human hand, and then they forget the maker, and worship the thing made. Don't forget the creator. The creator is your own wonderful human imagination. Whatever you create is left in you, the creator. So you can create a fortune, or make the take it from you. You can create another one. So whatever you can make, you can keep on making if they take it from you. So this is the power of which I speak. I am not speaking of any earthly power. Many a man this night, that shall in Barbados for a few months. And my brother, who has made quite a fortune, and he was talking about these men. And he didn't realize what he was saying. He mentioned five men. All multi-millionaires. And when he got through telling you this is how they worked so hard and they did all of this and all of this money, I said, Vic, you admire them? And certainly, they're powerful. They were powerful. You just painted five biographies for me. Word pictures of five men. The last one you painted is only 63 years old. He has, you tell me, about 25 minutes. And you have to tell him when to eat. He doesn't know. Doesn't know his name. Doesn't know anything. And all of a sudden, they put the food in his mouth, and they say, choose. And then he chews. And he on to a grandma, and they'll say, swallow. And he swallows. And you call that a man? So he has 25 million, so what? And the others. So they became all their time for making money. Just making things. And everyone you have mentioned and is buying for me, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put anyone, I was him if I had one, in his place. So he has money, and he's totally unaware of the fact that he has one nickel. So he has 25 million. And that's what you call a man. And that's not my concept of a man. I am telling you something entirely different. Thing. You have lots of money, may never happen to you. So you have millions too. You want to be like that? All these dollars are advantage. Together their entire lives to the making and the massing of things, and they started to worship things. Don't you start worshiping things. You start worshiping God, and only God, and God is your own wonderful human imagination. And don't you forget it. So if this building is yours, what it burns tonight. So what? You know what you did to build it? Build another one. Tomorrow you have the whole thing burned flat. And so don't be concerned about what you accumulated as things in the world. Find God and worship only God. And God is not on the outside. 
never see on the outside. You see that in because can you see I am? You can see I am a man, you see the man reflected. You can say I'm a poor man, you see the man reflected in the eyes of those who know he's poor. And you can see every concept you hold of self, but the conceiving being you don't see, that's God. My concept of myself would be this, that, or the other. The concepts would be reflected in society. And men will tell me who I've conceived myself to be, but no man knows who I really am. I the conceiver, they don't know. But they know what I've conceived myself to be. My bank balance will tell the banker what I've conceived myself to be in the financial world. And all these concepts, men will see concepts, but they can't see me the conceiver. Well, don't forget the conceiver, that's God. And that being is your own wonderful, I am this, that's God. And there never was another one. And never will be another so God bringing forth his own being because he's buried in us and he's bringing it up to enter the stream of creativity so that the same one being, God is infinite in potential but God is not infinite in actual fact because then he'll be dead he couldn't expand he couldn't go beyond what he is so God is ever expanding, there's no limit to expansion there was only a limit to contraction he took upon himself that limit when he became Neville that was the limit of contraction, the limit of opacity. Now he breaks the shell by my exercise within me of the law of repentance. And so I exercise my imagination. And then he breaks the shell. Now there's no limit now to expansion, no limit to translucence. There was only a limit he placed upon himself, which was the limit of death, which is opacity and contraction. So God is infinite in potential. And everyone here is going to join that wonderful stream of creativity and be one with God. Now when you hear it, don't just hear it and forget it. Try it. Pull it to the extreme test. And then tell another. And have the other tell someone else. And spread the good news. This is called the gospel. For the word gospel simply means good news. It's the good news about God. How God became man, that man may become God. But well, if God's name is I am, and I know I say I am, it's the core of my being. I can say I'm sick, but I can get over sickness, but I can't get over being I am. I can get over being rich and become extremely poor, but I can't get over being I am. So he actually became the core of my being. That's the center. Well, no, that's my being. Well, if that is God, and that's my being, well, he became me. God actually made me that I may become as he is. He gives upon himself this limitation that I may become what he is, which is infinite, and expanded throughout. So you try it tonight. Try it with anything in this world. The unmarried, if you desire to be married, what symbol in the world would imply that you are married? A little band, this best in the world, a little band around this finger. Not around any other finger. Around this thing. It doesn't have to be the biggest astrodash in the world. Just a plain little gold ring. If you wore it there, it would imply your marriage. Sleep tonight as though you wore one. Don't put your physical thumb on it. Put your imaginary thumb on it. And feel it in your imagination. You can do it. Feel the ball. Can you feel it? Then feel a piece of soup. Feel this. One after the other. Can you discriminate between all these different sensations? If you can discriminate between this and the tennis ball and the baseball and a piece of silk, then you can't discriminate between nothing. They must exist, though unseen by your eyes, they still must exist. So if I can discriminate between these unseen objects, these objects, though unseen, must be real. Well, now take that and put it there. But feel when you wear it that you are proud of the one who put it there. You don't have to see what he looks like. When it's put there, you'll be proud of his name, the bearer, and you'll be proud of him. Just put it there. You know why I know that? My wife did it. She did it. Actually, she did it. One day she was in the presence of a, a so-called sensitive. And this one said to her, why do you take off your wedding ring? She said, I am not married. Oh, she said, fool me. You took off your wedding ring. She said, but I did, I'm not married. Well, I'll even tell you his name. 
And she started off with Ned, Nether, Nether. She didn't quite get it, but she was coming very, very close to it. She was actually sensing what my wife in consciousness was feeling. When I first met her, I wanted her the very first day I knew her. I wanted to marry her. But I was entangled. Was I entangled? But by this law, I disentangled myself. Without hurting anyone, I disengaged myself to all these complexities so that I could actually legitimately say, dramatically. But in the meanwhile, she was wearing the ring. I hadn't yet put her there, but she allowed me to put her there and sat as though I had put her there. So I tell you, unmarried ladies, if you desire to be married, if you don't, if you do, that's the way to do it. And you'll come out of the nowhere. You don't have to go and buy any wand or try to meet the right people. Usually when you try to meet the right one, it's always the wrong one. So don't go searching. Those who go searching for love only may manifest their own lovelessness. And the loveless never find love. Only the loving find love and they never have to seek for it. When you're born in love, you don't have to seek for it. You draw it. They come to you. So here, this is the power of which I speak. The power of the universe, the power that created and sustains the universe, is resident in you as your own wonderful human imagination. That's God. Don't forget. I know it's difficult when man has been trained to believe in an external God. And he goes to church, gets on his knees, and he prays for an external God. And he goes home at night, maybe he does say his prayers, and gets down on his knees, and he prays to an external God. All right, maybe that's a nice thing for someone to do. But I tell you, he is not there at all. You won't be criticized for it, but he's within you. Very personal, actually. He's very, very personal. I'm within you. When you're told in scripture of the rock that begot us, we are mindful. And that seems to be all a figure of speech on how true that thing is. One night sitting in the silence, rather than afternoon, I was thinking of nothing in particular, and suddenly before my eyes came this force, an enormous force. As I looked at it, it fragmented itself. It broke into numbness and obedience, and then it reassembled itself. As it reassembled itself, it was not into a force, but into a man, seated in the lotus posture. I'm looking at this man, all seated up, perfect man. As I looked at him, I'm looking at myself. Here I am, the perceiver, observing myself, seated in the lotus posture, this deep, deep meditation. And as I became aware, as I'm looking at myself, it began to glow. And it glowed and glowed and glowed, and it reached the intensity of luminosity, it exploded. And then I returned to this level. There I see within me. That thing is meditating this. This is my projection of itself in the world. And when he wakes within me, completely wakes, I am he. God actually became me, that I may become God. And he's put me through all the pages, allowing me to make all the mistakes, to make a monster like the things I talked about earlier. I made that, and I made a lovely one. And he allows it in his meditation. He is the dreamer in me. And he's dreaming this, and dreaming everything that I dream in this world. And when he awakes, this will cease to be an I am he, and he is God. So I tell you, go out and try. Begin tonight. I make you this promise. If you try it faithfully, you will not fail. All the questions, please. Make it a full evening. Of scripture, the written word. 
is the living bird, and he has to duplicate it. All the stories in Scripture, he must experience. So when he actually experiences in Scripture, there are two witnesses. His inner testimony, the Father, and the outer testimony, the written word. So we speak of the two in the 11th chapter of Revelation, my two witnesses. If two different persons agree in testimony, it's conclusive. If one comes and swears, even though it's true, it's not acceptable in court. He may be telling the truth, but there must be a second to confirm it. No, God's witness is the Bible. That's the witness. Is it literally true? I tell you from experience, it's literally true. But it's not a secular history. It's supernatural history. So when you experience it, you will experience it in a remote region of the soul. It will duplicate the written history, which is supernatural history, salvation history. Why, certainly, my dear, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here were you not hungry to experience God. The world isn't hungry enough for it. You're told I will send a famine upon the world. He will not be a hunger for bread or a thirst for water, but for the hearing of the word of God. And when you have that kind of a hunger, only an experience of God can satisfy the hunger. All the money in the world couldn't satisfy it. When that thirst is upon you, nothing in the world can actually quench that thirst but an experience of God. And his whole story is told in the Bible. The man experiences scripture. Scripture must be fulfilled in me. So is the two witnesses. The living witness, which you have experienced, and the external witness of the written word. <coughs> Any other questions, please? Come on, make it nice and you evening. We still have ten minutes. When he comes home and you want there, the house is empty. 
I know that that's what I would like. I have that. If I come home, I'm really not home. I feel, you know, I have friends at home. And they have parties going on. How careful? Can people tell? Where's Bill? Well, she isn't here. You know, the whole thing is ancient. Did she come? And if she goes home, she's going to be back at five. And she isn't alive. She's going back at six. Well, between five and six, I am not myself. Where is she? Everyone should have that sort of relationship that the house is empty when the maid isn't there. Male or female. If I could come home and it didn't matter whether she was there or not, what on earth am I going to be married? If she isn't there and it makes no difference to you whether she's or not, well then that's not marriage. The house must be empty when she isn't there or you are there. If I knew in her heart that I could go and come when I wanted and she wasn't concerned, oh, that's not my wife. I know not before Sunday I leave her behind me, or she goes and leaves me behind. That I know is inevitable. But while we are together, I want it to be so that the house is empty and the other one is left. And I'm selfish enough to want her to feel friendly. Any other questions? Charity. 
My dear, I believe in being a specific on campus. I just knew what I wanted so often on certain things and wanted it in detail and got it. His brain cannot be that specific over me with certain ends, but overall ends. But if you really are specific, God is very desperate 